Hello and welcome to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetics Society podcast with me, Dr. Kat Arney. In this episode, exploring great ideas in genetics, we're discovering our inner fish, finding out whether we really do go through a fishy phase in the womb, and looking at the legacy of Tiktaalik, the first fish to walk on land. Before we start, just a reminder that you can find us on Twitter at geneticsunzip or by email podcast at geneticsunzip.com. We do know you're listening all over the world, so come say hello. And please do take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if that's how you're listening. Or you could just tell a friend, send out a tweet, ping it over in an email or just tell them in the pub. It all helps more people discover the show. Born in 1834, Ernst Hecker was a German zoologist with a flair for illustration and a knack for creating incredibly detailed and widely shared scientific images. As we heard in episode 27 of our last series, his Tree of Life diagram was widely reproduced, despite not representing Darwinian principles very accurately. But that's not his only controversial viral meme. Heckel played a crucial role in spreading Darwin's ideas in Germany, but he wanted to go deeper. At the time, scientists didn't have that many fossils to provide evidence of the evolutionary process, and there was certainly nothing like the DNA-based molecular evolution techniques that we have today. So Heckel and his contemporaries wondered whether embryos could teach them about evolution instead. In Heckel's time, it was widely accepted that early embryos of mammals looked very similar in the early stages of development. This observation didn't escape the notice of Darwin himself, who wrote in The Origin of Species, The embryos also of distinct animals within the same class are often strikingly similar. A better proof of this cannot be given than a circumstance mentioned by Agassiz, namely that having forgotten to ticket the embryo of some vertebrate animal, he cannot now tell whether it be that of a mammal, bird or reptile. To explain these similarities, Heckel created a theory he called the biogenetic law. He even came up with a catchy motto, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, to sum up his ideas. Essentially, this means that an organism's embryo goes through a series of developmental stages that recapitulates the trajectory of its evolutionary journey. Accordingly, Heckel believed that human embryos go through stages where they show characteristics of their more primitive ancestors, such as fish gills or monkey tails, mapping out the journey from flopping fish to swinging ape to proud upstanding human. This also reflects his belief in directed evolution, progressing from simpler to higher forms, with humans obviously being at the top of the evolutionary tree. Without being able to take photographs of real embryos to support his ideas, Heckel turned to his sketchbook. He produced a series of iconic drawings of embryos from a range of species captured at various points through development to support his theory. And he published them in two books, Anthropogenia, The Evolution of Man, and Natürliche Schöpfungsgeschichte, or Natural History of Creation. The best-known version of this picture shows a grid of embryos with eight columns of different vertebrate species – fish, salamander, tortoise, chicken, pig, cow, rabbit and human 
shown in three rows that capture them at different stages of development. In the top row, representing the earliest stage of embryonic development, they all look like almost identical jelly beans. By the bottom row of the image, the embryos look much more like fish or birds or tortoises or whatever they will eventually become. Heckel used these pictures to show that vertebrate embryos all look very much the same in the early stages of development, regardless of which species they are. It was a visually striking image in a time when many people had never even seen a picture of an embryo. But just like many of the most popular viral images that do the rounds today, the true story was a little bit more complicated. As well as being a scientist, Heckel was an outspoken political character with plenty of enemies. Almost immediately after their publication in the 1860s, other researchers began to challenge his illustrations and his ideas. Science fight! Heckel's peers accused him of exaggerating the similarities between embryos, with Ludwig Rüttemeyer, professor of biology at the University of Basel, even accusing him of using the same print to produce them all. One and the same, moreover, incorrectly interpreted woodcut is presented to the reader three times in a row and with three different captions as the embryo of the dog, the chick and the turtle. Rüttemeyer accused Heckel of playing fast and loose with the public and with science. Heckel fought back, arguing that it was impossible to tell the difference between vertebrate embryos at this early stage, which was true using the instrumentation available at the time. Nonetheless, he did correct his error in the next edition of his book. Unfortunately, the damage was already done, and Heckel hasn't really managed to escape the accusations of dodgy embryology ever since. Moreover, the idea that ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny has failed to stand up to scientific scrutiny. As we'll discover in part two, although early vertebrate embryos do look curiously similar at first glance, so-called higher organisms like humans or cows don't literally pass through a fishy phase in the womb. And a closer examination of a wider range of species reveals crucial differences in the form and structure of embryos, even at a very early stage. Still, Heckel's embryo images were widely reproduced despite the controversy, proof that publishers do love an eye-catching image above all else. The accusations of fraud were less well known in the US, and Heckel's illustrations found their way into many American textbooks, where some of them remain until this day. But that's not the end of the story. In 1997, the journal Science published an article called Heckel's Embryos – Fraud Rediscovered, claiming that Heckel had intentionally misrepresented embryological development. To demonstrate the point, Heckel's drawings were lined up against photographs of the actual corresponding embryos taken by British embryologist Michael Richardson, who was quoted in the article as saying, It looks like it's turning out to be one of the most famous fakes in biology. The story was, of course, picked up by the press and jumped on by creationists and advocates of intelligent design, who used the charges of fakery as proof of widespread scientific fraud in the field of evolutionary research. But it seems that the science article that charged Heckel with fraud may have contained a few of its own misleading images. Historian of science Robert Richards published a paper in 2009 
arguing that Michael Richardson's images didn't offer a fair comparison with Heckel's drawings. Heckel distinctly stated that his pictures did not include yolk sacs or any other maternal material, while Richardson's photographs clearly include yolk sacs, making the embryos appear more different to Heckel's images than they are in reality. Richards re-engineered the photographs to show that the embryos weren't so different after all. However, current evidence does show that some of Heckel's images were indeed not that accurate. For example, his illustrations of echidna, or spiny anteater embryos, show them growing little limb buds at the same early stage as other mammals. But echidna embryos actually develop their limb buds much later on. Despite his errors, Heckel made many contributions to science. He discovered, wrote about and drew thousands of new species, engaged the public in science and spread the word about evolution. It would be a real shame to discount his contributions and brand him a fraud because his work wasn't always completely accurate. As for Heckel's famous embryo pictures, some biologists argue that they still have a place in teaching developmental biology today. Although the images may be inaccurate, the fundamental point that the illustrations are showing is correct. The more closely related two species are in evolution, the more similar their early stage embryos will appear, even though we don't literally become fish and monkeys as we grow in the womb. And finally, as someone who studied developmental biology, I still find the neat little drawings to be utterly entrancing. In fact, I even used Heckel's embryo grid as the wallpaper on my very first computer at university. The science may not be 100% correct, but in my opinion, they are still 100% art. This is Genetics Unzipped, the Genetics Society podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Genetics Unzip and online at geneticsunzipped.com. Heckel's theory that human embryos pass through stages of development that recapitulate our evolutionary history has subsequently been proved incorrect. But it's undeniable that human embryos do look awfully similar to other species, at least in the very early stages of life. Heckel thought that we went through a fish stage in the womb because our embryos appear to have gills during early development. In fact, these are pharyngeal arches, which form the basis of structures like facial bones in mammals, but do indeed go on to become gills in fish. Rather than reworking evolution in the womb, biologists now believe that these kinds of common structures in early embryos are evidence of our shared evolutionary origins. So there is a relationship between embryology and evolution, but in a way that's far more intricate than Heckel could ever have known. Back in the days of Heckel and Darwin, nobody knew about DNA or genes. The exact mechanisms underpinning evolution were a mystery as were the curious forces that shape an embryo as it grows in the womb. Today, we know that many thousands of genes control embryonic development, but we're still figuring out exactly how they work. 
Evolutionary Developmental Biology, or EVO-DEVO as it's often known, is a relatively new scientific field that looks at how our genes control the journey from fertilised egg to foetus, and what it can tell us about the underlying processes of evolution. Development in the womb depends on a complex network of regulatory genes. Some of them, known as Hox genes, control when and where in a developing embryo particular genes are switched on and off, ensuring that all your body parts all end up in the right place. Hox genes act together with other regulatory genes, creating a chain of command where the instructions become more specific with each gene further down the line. Importantly, Hox genes don't have any instructions for making specific body parts. Like the architects of a building, these regulatory genes just map out the plans for the body as a whole, but they don't do any of the building themselves. Instead, they simply say, make a leg here, or arms here please, activating other genes that are needed to make the cells and tissues of the appropriate limbs or organs. Regulatory genes, particularly those high up in the chain of command, are extremely similar between species. In scientific terms, we'd say that these genes are highly conserved, and it's even possible to swap some of them between species and maintain the same body plan. These similarities explain why groups of related animals have similar features. For example, the four limbs of mammals and other tetrapods, or the neatly arranged vertebrate backbone. Unsurprisingly, variations in such important regulatory genes can have huge effects on the resulting organism. For example, particular faults in fruit fly hox genes can result in a fly with a leg where it should have an antenna, or two sets of wings. Mutations in hox genes and other developmental genes may explain how evolution can sometimes seem to happen very quickly. For example, when species gain additional segments, legs or wings, in what seems like an unfeasibly short period of time, at least in evolutionary terms. What might surprise you is that when species lose traits through evolution, they can still have perfectly functional genes that build those body parts, but their regulatory genes have undergone changes that mean they simply don't get switched on. For example, chickens and other birds evolved from dinosaurs who had teeth. Chickens still have all the genes they need to make teeth, but they just aren't switched on as a chick grows inside an egg. Mutations in regulatory genes can turn these long-forgotten genes back on, making, yep, you guessed it, hen's teeth. Other examples of similar evolutionary throwbacks include whales with legs, horses with toes, and even humans with tails. Cool. So, although we don't know all the specifics about how the genes that are responsible for development have changed throughout evolution, we do know that all vertebrates, that's animals with backbones, are essentially the same under the biological hood. The genetic recipe may have been passed on and modified for hundreds of millions of years, but the basic instructions largely remain the same. In short, our evolutionary history is written in our genes and it's a history that we can trace right back to the very first vertebrates, fish. We and all other vertebrates evolved from fish, which explains the embryonic resemblances observed by Haeckel all those years ago. But how did we go from swimming around in the sea to walking about on land? 
It's a question that scientists have been trying to answer for decades. The answer finally came in 2004, when American paleontologist Neil Shubin and his team discovered a strange fossilised skull sticking out of some ancient rocks on Ellesmere Island in northern Canada. After careful excavation, they realised that they'd found the fossilised skeletons of three ancient creatures, dating back around 375 million years. They named this new species Tiktaalik, after the local Inuit word for large freshwater fish. But rather than being a pure fish, equipped with fins and gills for swimming, or a land-loving tetrapod with limbs and feet and lungs, Tiktaalik is something in between. It does have scales and gills of a fish, but also a flat, crocodile-like head with eyes on top. It has purely tetrapod ribs and a neck, but while Tiktaalik has legs and bent ankle joints that look for all the world like they belong to a tetrapod that's used to walking on land, these limbs end in fins rather than toes, suggesting that they did spend plenty of time squelching about in the mud. As Shubin puts it, this curious mixture of characteristics makes Tiktaalik a fisherpod, our oldest known land-dwelling ancestors, and the putative missing link or transitional form between fish and land animals. In his book, Your Inner Fish, Shubin argues that this all adds up to making Tiktaalik one of our key ancestors. And even though it's 375 million years old, Tiktaalik has all the bony structures that you need to make a human shoulders, elbows, legs, a neck, wrists, suggesting that it does have the same basic developmental blueprint as we do. This isn't the only evidence of our ancestors that we can see on our bodies today. Pinch your thumb and first finger together and look at the inside of your wrist. If you can see a prominent tendon, congratulations, you're an evolutionary throwback. Don't worry, I'm one too. This is the palmaris longus, a tendon that's useful for lemurs and monkeys who use their forearms to move around in the trees. But it's not much use for our modern ground-dwelling lifestyle. As a result, there's no selective pressure acting on the genes directing its development, so it's starting to be lost from the modern human population. Around 10-15% to of people don't have this tendon, with no ill effects at all, which does make it a fun conversation starter at parties. Cool! You're welcome. We're just starting to understand what our genes can tell us about our evolution, and who knows what secrets we'll uncover in the future. Perhaps what we currently consider to be so-called junk DNA actually contains the full story of evolution that we've been searching for. In my first book, Herding Hemingway's Cats, I talk about how the genetic control switches scattered throughout this non-coding DNA are like evolution's playground with small changes to switches having big impacts on the shape, size and structure of various body parts in different species, even though the genes themselves don't change. One thing is for sure. Even though we've left our fishy phase long behind us, we still carry the evolutionary legacy of our ancestors with us. From Tiktaalik to today, it's time to embrace your inner fish. That's all for now. 
Next time, we'll be searching for the ghosts in our genomes and finding out how to argue with a racist. For more information about this podcast, including show notes, transcripts, links, references, music credits and everything else, head over to geneticsunzipped.com. You can find us on Twitter, at Genetics Unzip, and please do take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, and it helps more people discover the show. Genetics Unzipped is presented by me, Kat Arney, with scripting and research by Emily Nordvang, and it's produced by First Create the Media for the Genetics Society, one of the oldest learned societies in the world dedicated to supporting and promoting the research, teaching and application of genetics. You can find out more and apply to join at genetics.org.uk. Our theme music was composed by Dan Pollard, our logo was designed by James Mayle, and audio production is by Hannah Varrell. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.